Eerily, quietly, all around the Earth, scientists are taking steps to prepare the human race to leave this lovely, warm, cold, snowy, wet, dry, cloudy, blue planet. In the past decade, astronomers using the Kepler Space-Based Telescope have solidly established the existence of possible candidates for planets, some even within the range of the conditions we experience here on Earth. It's a journey of a lifetime that would take a lifetime, but the time has come in human civilization to concretely anticipate the science of such a journey. And this week on The Takeaway, we are leaving Earth with the help of Natalie Battaglia, the Kepler mission scientist and astronomer at the NASA Ames Research Center. Our first stop is exoplanet Kepler 438b. At first glance, this appears to be a planet very much like Earth. It's about the same size, only about 10% larger than Earth in its radius. Uh, It receives about the same amount of energy from its star that Earth receives from its sun. And so you might think that it's going to be very much Earth-like, but as we travel there and and, and take a closer look, we, we start to notice some big differences. Uh, It's orbiting a star we call an M-dwarf, an M-type star. It's about half the size of our sun, and it's about 2,000 degrees cooler than our own sun. Uh, It's emitting mostly red and infrared radiation as opposed to the yellow visible light that our own sun emits. Um, As we're flying towards it, or if you can imagine that, we won't see it as being this really deep red star. We might see it as being kind of a orangish yellow hue just because of the response of our eyeball and how that's evolved um, in our on our own earth these m type stars have thick deep convection zones in their upper layers that create intense magnetic fields and those magnetic fields are are what give rise to the sunspots and prominences and coronal mass ejections that we're familiar with on our own sun um, but here you've got uh, it exaggerated you know tenfold So standing on the surface, uh, if I got that far, I'd see the sun performing a a light show virtually every day. Yeah, you would. If the planet itself has magnetic fields like our own Earth does, then the wind of charged particles that's coming out of these coronal mass ejections are going to slam into the planet but be funneled by the magnetic fields towards the poles. And when these charged particles get funneled, they start colliding with the atmosphere. And that creates uh, emission that we know as the northern lights, the northern and southern lights, or the aurorae. So we would vote for rotation. That's something that we would want if we're going to be homesteading up there. That's exactly right. You want rotation. Uh, It generates that magnetic field. But unfortunately, that's not what you might get. Well, what we know is that all life is carbon-based, and carbon-based chemistry requires water for its survival. So we're looking for planets where water can pool on the surface. Um, Now, if you've got a central star where, uh, you know, with such a low luminosity, only 4% that of the sun's luminosity, you're going to have to cozy up really close to that star in order to create those conditions, right, for liquid water. Well, if you cozy up next to the star, you're also going to experience very large tidal forces. And those tidal forces can lock us in to a synchronous rotation. 
And so Kepler 438b might be presenting only one of its faces towards the central star at all times. All right. So um, I can't live on the dark side. I can't live on the light side. Um, could we find a, a, a place at the Terminator or whatever it is, that the area where it's always in twilight, uh, that's uh, sort of half light and half dark? Uh, you know, the Earth is, imagine like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> you know, the Earth is spinning on its axis and it gets nicely toasted on all sides. Um, if you've got a planet that's locked in a synchronous rotation, then that rotisserie chicken is only getting burnt on one side, right? But it's not quite so dire. So so Kepler-438b has an atmosphere, right? And so that atmosphere can be heated on one side, but then it's free to circulate uh, through these extreme temperature gradients to the other side. Um, So you could end up with a more temperate situation where the atmosphere is redistributing that heat from the day side over to the night side, making it more amenable to life. What kind of atmosphere would you need and how thick of an atmosphere would you need to make this convection effect so that you'd have warmth even on the dark side? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think even with an Earth-like atmosphere, you can manage that. It's probably not the case that it was always in this synchronous rotation. So the question on my mind would be, how long has it been that way? I, I would think that with time, this kind of dramatic weather, just like in a convection oven where you're circulating air, you're going to set up tremendous circulation patterns, you know, global uh, circulation or convection cells that are going to create tremendous winds and the like. Um, You might uh, imagine initially you heat up the surface at that substellar point dramatically, and if there were oceans there, you might evaporate them, a large quantity of water, and that's going to create huge thick clouds above that substellar point. Um, Those clouds would actually work to cool the surface, which is kind of counterintuitive, right, blocking the solar or the stellar radiation. And so that would operate for a while. You'd be kind of okay for a while. Um, and but then they would continue to heat, and you would start getting that circulation. You'd push that warm air over to the backside. And then what's going to happen? It's going to condense. It's going to rain out, maybe even freeze. And so with time, slowly but surely, what I imagine might happen is that the oceans on the day side would gradually evaporate away, and you would start piling up all of that water um, in a frozen state on the backside. And so now you're in a situation where... That terminator that you mentioned before might be the ideal place to live, where you're kind of in between those two states. 438B, home sweet home, would it be for me? Or a a difficult environment where I have to be a, a tough old bird to survive? For us, if we were to go and just be dropped in, airlifted into Kepler-438b, we'd have a hard time. But, you know, life is prolific and robust and creative, and I could imagine that there would be life there on that planet that is adapted just fine. A uh, tour of 438b. Natalie Battaglia is Kepler mission scientist and a research astronomer at the NASA Ames Research Center. Uh, Natalie, thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, this is Ami from Hollywood, and I would not go simply because I have everything I need right here on Earth. To the sounds of live band Red Barat, call us at 8778-MY-TAKE to tell us your space dreams.
On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.